You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to Practically Pastoring. My name is Frank, and I am glad that you are here. Hey, uh, this is a four of the five typical gentlemen that's usually on this show is on the show right now. We got down in uh, probably super hot and humid uh, South Carolina, Delmar Pete. How you doing? I'm doing well, and it has not fully hit yet, so we are loving this provenient grace, man. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. And then down in uh, both my both, this is kind of weird because usually the two people who are in Florida together is is a different pair. But my buddy Jeff Simpson is down in Florida still. Jeff, how you doing? What's up? Amen. And then next to him is the man, the myth, the legend, the one who actually looks like a senior pastor amongst all of us. That's Andrew right. Andrew J. Larson. At gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> How you guys doing? It's hot here. It, we just we just walked to lunch. I will say though, on the walk back, it was there was a breeze. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't unbearably hot, but it, it it's hot. It's definitely hot. It's in the nineties, I think, today. Nice, nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I left Florida on Saturday morning, and it was hot. It was like really hot, and it's pretty warm here, but I was I spent the whole day outside in my yard. That's how I'm spending the rest of my vacation time is uh, is pulling weeds and laying down mulch. So That's the most 30s thing you ever said. There you go. That's it. So, Jeff, you are in Florida now. You don't, you're not preaching right now this Sunday, this past Sunday. Andrew, you had a guest preacher too, right? I did. Our youth guy, Dylan, was preaching, and uh, he did a great job. It was exciting. I got to sit there and watch and nod along and smile the whole time and run the stopwatch to let him know how long he went. And <laughs> Did was, you stand in the back of the room with like a sign that said five minutes, no. one minute? I, I knew that was not going to be an issue. <laughs> <laughs> give me five minutes more. You need to give me five more. Pray longer. The band is still in the bathroom. Pray so, longer. It's like when you're in a multi-site and the stream's coming in late. Later week, I was going up there, and they're like, hey, man, the pastor's coming in three minutes late. you got to figure something out during your host time. Okay, I'm on. <laughs> hey, everybody, let's play a game. <laughs> Jeremiah or Justin Bieber? Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I'll get fired if I do that. I guess Andrew and Jeff, let me ask you guys this question. Um, when you guys are going to be out, like, is there a pool of people that you like kind of choose to lean on to speak for you? Are you like coaching them in any type of way? Or are these just like, just like last minute, a week before, Hey, I need you to talk for me. How does that work out for you guys? It definitely is not a week before, but from, for us, uh, there are two other people in the church with seminary degrees. So I know that I know they could share even with a couple days notice, like they, they both like uh, are either teaching at a seminary level uh, or are teaching in a consistent way, either at the church or in uh, one lady is teaches in a, uh, a ministry where she oversees the European wing of this big women's like Bible study ministry. So she can easily, you know, take take a Sunday. And um, sometimes we organize it to where if because she, she travels a lot, obviously not the last year, but she travels a lot of the year. Uh, and so we almost will do once in a while, we'll just do like a Sunday where she just gives like a report of the last four or five months of what she's been doing. And then she'll kind of she'll do like a sermon net sort of in terms of length along with that. So um, sometimes if I know I'm going to be gone, like on vacation or something, I'll say, hey, we haven't done one of those in a while with you why don't you you know take that sunday and then the other guy um i can just either he'll go along with my series if i'm in you know the book of luke or gospel john he'll just hop in on that or sometimes i'll just say you know just do whatever you want as a stand standalone thing and go for it and he's been he's been good too this last sunday since i was gone um the uh it's church it was church planting sunday in my denomination so the denomination had a bunch of video content, so we actually just did that. So. I have two retired pastors that are members of our church, and so I can lean on them fairly heavily. We have, kind of similar to Jeff, we have a lady who has run a multinational nonprofit, and she's on staff with me, and so we'll, we'll lean on her. And now I have 
I have a part-time Dylan, which is exciting until he gets a full-time job elsewhere. And then I don't have him anymore, but he preached last week and he's preaching again on Sunday. So it's nice to know that you can not preach 52 Sundays a year. Well, what about you guys when, when you're not preaching, what do you do? Hey guys, let's play a game. <laughs> they they make announcements and they tell people where the coffee is and to Bro, fill out their card. Was, I was just going to leave it at that. He was too excited to jump on that joke. <laughs> Man, we'd love to get you guys a free cup of coffee. It's I'm funny. kind of Pastor Frank. and uh, kind, of, kind of. That's so mean. We, me, and, uh, me and Delmar were actually talking before you guys got on about um, how far out is 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 our preaching calendar scheduled for that's hey, like, but right. on, on a serious note you are the guys that get tapped right like that's well, part of part I of your think, role a little bit actually isn't it? i mean to be clear delmar i think delmar you're in the same role as i am we're like we are actually a part of the teaching rotation so like so like in our church in my church there's three preaching pastors that preach consistently throughout the year and i'm one of them and and Delmar, so is, is it just you and your senior pastor, right? So you have it's me, my senior pastor. I have a couple guys under me, and we rotate them in, um, give them stage time too. So, so it's you don't you you're not preaching only as a cover for when he's gone. It's normal for you to preach even with him there all the time. I was a, the church I was at in Orlando. It was not a mega church. It was maybe two three hundred people, but we just were blessed with uh, a multi staff team. Some part time, some full time, but there was probably four of us. That could actually we rotated preaching. the The senior pastor, I think, was normally two Sundays a month, or three, and then the other two of us would rotate in as well. I mean, to me, that's a real good way to keep your senior pastor healthy, you know. Yeah. But, but then also, um, fortunately, I am I'm in a good place where they do allow me. I preach once a month at our campus too, so I, that way I could still keep a little little fresh on you. Yeah, like the last year that I was at that church in Orlando, I think I preached. 15 times that year so a little more than once a month and the other weeks i was leading worship on the stage so yeah i think like uh we i'm getting close to like once a month here where i'm at well let's take a quick break and uh we're gonna pay some bills and with our great sponsors from anchor when we get back um we're gonna enter into a time of some clergy cliff notes Hey, welcome back. We are uh, going to pull out this Gospel Coalition article here from uh, the speaker Hunter Beaumont is the name of the guy who wrote this article, and uh, and 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 I think one thing that I've been noticing, especially a lot in the past probably a year, is the word deconstructing and people deconstructing their faith. And I've kind of like been kind of mixed about this because to an extent. I agree wholeheartedly that there needs to be elements of your faith, and not necessarily of your faith, but like of your of what you believe and why you believe it that needs to be deconstructed. And I do believe that understanding what you believe is important. And that may mean like trying to strip away some of the bad understanding. But the thing that kind of discourages me is when I'm seeing some of these folks talk about deconstruction, they're straight up deconstructing orthodoxy. And it's like, and it's like, like, you know, I think all four of us here. Uh, were, were definitely around about ten years ago when the emergent church came out, and they were they were questioning and deconstructing some orthodoxy, and we were like, no, 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 you can't, you're not going to do that. Like, there's some stuff you can deconstruct, but there's other stuff that's like you, you can't just deconstruct uh, this, the the sinlessness of Christ or and stuff and and um, and things like that. So, one thing this this guy proposes in the Gospel Coalition article is that actually a better word for what people are actually wanting to do is not deconstruction. But disenculturation, which means to 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 remove the um, the bad parts of the evangelical culture that you grew up in, and 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 try to fill them back in with what is biblical and what is true. And so he gives an example of a missionary before they go on before they go on their full term on missions, they de disenculturize their gospel to figure out what is the truth about the gospel that can make the maximum impact on the culture that I'm going to. That it's not like bringing over with me the Americanized stuff. So, like, if you're going to another country, you know, uh, uh, khaki pants and a button-down shirt with a tie may not be the most appropriate uh, uh, outfit for you as you're preaching the gospel in certain parts of the I country. Yeah, no problem. Um, and so, so I guess, I guess my question to you guys is: I think this is actually a really good article. He brings he brings up a couple of, like things to think about. But what are some um, cultural aspects? When you were growing up, 
that now you are in a position of authority at your church to kind of create the culture of your church, or that just simply that you had to like kind of disattach from your own faith to be able to truly believe um, the gospel that is true, not just simply the culture you grew up in. I mean, uh, I I think I heard on um, on the morning after ministry show this morning, uh, Jeff, you said you were kind of you believed kind of like on a fringe version of independent fundamental Baptist. And then Andrew, you actually grew up independent fundamental Baptist. And so I'm sure that there's like some cultural things you had to strip away as you were getting into this conversation, even hearing what both of you guys just said something that you both have guest speakers in your church that are women. That is probably a, uh, a separation from what maybe you grew up in. I could be wrong. Um, I guess I mean, I just want to hear from all of you guys. Like what are some of the cultural things from your younger evangelical years that you had to strip away that you may want to call deconstruction or disenculturation where you are now. Jeff and I were just at lunch and I was saying that, you know, growing up the church that I was in, we were a church of 200 ish people and kind of had the mindset that if you are a church that is, you know, 300 people or bigger, you must be doing something wrong to compromise the gospel because there's just no way that anybody who's bigger than us could be being more faithful than we are. And just kind of how silly that idea is now, because, you know, our church is 70-ish people, and there are three mega churches within five minutes away, and I've got friends at all three of them. And it's just so silly to think that, you know, we are, to think that we somehow were the only ones getting it right was the mindset that I really felt. And I don't think anyone ever preached, hey, we're the only ones getting it right. 17 to 20 year old Andrew thought, you know, it was this unspoken truth that we were the only ones who were actually being faithful. We were the only ones who were actually getting it right. And, you know, my kind of life verse for memory from ministry has been in John 21 when Jesus is with Peter walking on the beach and said, you know, talking about John. And he says, What is it to you if he should follow me until I remain? You must follow me. So the idea that there's more than one way to do it. There's more than one kind of church that is getting it right. Yeah. I mean, I grew up just one altar call, you know, from being a fundamental independent, you know, just one more thing of just as I am. But, uh, you know, for me, that subculture of Christianity that I grew up in was, you know, your Bible better have the word, the letters KJV on it. And, the most you can go is put an N in front of it is in KJV. And that's about the extent of where you can do as far as your Bible reading is concerned. And then, uh, you know, as far as music, and I kid you not, like I accidentally discovered contemporary music because my parents got me a, a, a boom box, not a radio, but a boom box, you know? And one day I'm, I'm rotating a dial and I hear that song. I don't want to wait. For our lives to be that's, over. I'm like, yo, this that's is Dawson's dope. Creek oh, right there. You know, Paula Cole, baby. That's some Paula Not on the Cole, Netflix man. version of Dawson's oh, Creek. Anyway. That's a different theme then, song. Uh, I could talk all day about that, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> but I just remember like this, this exceeding amount of separatists, you know, like we're, we're reading our versions are this got to be this. The music we listen to has got to be this. Similar to you guys, there's only a certain section of preachers that you can listen to. Um, and even though there were other good preachers out there, it's like, nah, if this one didn't talk about this issue, he was a wicked person. So there was just a lot of, I guess, I mean, if, we, if you want to call it what it is, it's just a lot of legalism. And I think that because legalism exists and in places of legalism, you always see hypocrisy. And I think that's one of these reactions against the culture is a lot of these people are seeing the hypocrisy maybe that they grew up under with all this legalism. So they're like, we're just going to shank it and gut it out the middle. The only problem is what we're replacing it with, right? Like it is good for us to look and say, where are we legalistic? This making us be hypocrites and let's analyze that. But instead of just gutting it saying, well, maybe we can look at it from a different angle and see what is redeeming and what do we need to reject? I think there's two main things that come to my mind uh, that I think are in this conversation that are related to what you just said, Dell. I think, uh, number one, I think as American Christians of the vein that I grew up in, evangelical, somewhat in the legalistic, like I worked at Word of Life for a while, uh, couldn't go to movies, couldn't dance, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, definitely part of like evangelical purity culture churches. Uh and all that those meant. I think the two things I see is a 
a very bad lack of awareness of the global church. Uh, we just kind of think the American white experience of church is is it, uh, or or you know most people that grow up in that like it's just it's not coming from an innocent place. You just don't know any better. But then also just a really bad lack of understanding global church history uh, that stretches back any further than thinking. It's like we think we are our what our version of church is being faithful to the new testament church without realizing we've got millennia of interpretation and cultural stuff that has been translated and translated and translated and we've been delivered this christianity with a bunch of cultural baggage already attached to it and we think oh no it was just like before us was the uh, the bad stuff and then before that was the new testament church and our faithfulness is like straight back to the New Testament church without realizing that, you know, evangelicalism itself has a long history of traditions and interpretations. And so I think what, what I see with people who deconstruct is they don't know what the essentials of the faith are. They don't know what the primary and secondary and tertiary issues of Christianity are historic Orthodox Christianity. And so they're actually doing, I think a lot of deconstructing people are actually doing what we've taught them in the church to do, which is uh, to, to essentially say, I'm going to uh, be a lone ranger. Like I'm just Christianity. My version of Christianity is about me and Jesus alone. And when that doesn't work, then what I need to do is get rid of Jesus, but keep the alone part. And I think that like, if we had a better job of understanding uh, church history in a global sense where we're attached to this huge body of people who have had a lot of the same struggles, dealt with a lo- dark night of the soul, uh, all these writings that you could go to when you're when you're having doubts. Um, I think people would have a lot easier time understanding how to separate, you know, primary essential doctrinal issues from cultural stuff that they were just handed. That's really not that helpful. Completely unrelated, but I just want to know, is it possible to have a, a deconstruction of your faith without starting a podcast about it. Is that a thing? <laughs> I'm sure, but or we don't blog, know about it. I, I or, or yeah. blog, that's kind of like, can you lose a hundred pounds and not try to turn that into a career? But, but I, also what does that say about us as an evangelical culture when that's how people react that have been discipled in our churches their whole life, you know, like, is like I need to go, I have to tell everyone. I have to tell this. Story. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I think that's so attractional to our culture right now. Any form of rejection of faith, like they're going, our culture is going to lift that up. Do you guys remember, or maybe you don't, when Rhett and Link did these full podcasts mm-hmm. of when yeah. they lost yeah. their faith? Like I had a lot of students who followed them, you know? And I mean, when I was, I was a student pastor at the time, and, you know, fortunately it gave me a lot of great apologetic moments. But at the same time, like, yeah, everyone shot that those podcasts to the top of the listening because it, it aligns with what we would call the cultural narrative right now, just relying on reason and not um, a reason uh, that is, has its own set of presuppositions, right? Instead of saying, Hey, we're going to examine faith. So I think that we actually have the culture against us in that it would promote those podcasts. So if I'm rejecting this faith, I'm a former pastor. You just put those two things in one blog headline, former pastor, walks away from faith, everyone's going to listen to it. I mean, look at um, who's it? it's John Piper's son right now that I just, my heart breaks for John, for John Piper with his son um, just walking away and, and everyone, no one even knew who this dude was really until he walked away. And now we're going to let everyone know. I, I think, you know, if you listen to a lot of deconstruction stories, the main thing that, that kind of is like the catalyst of their deconstruction oftentimes is, how other people in the church have treated them or how other people in the church have treated others. And so it's very easy, I think, for us to be like, this is what happens when you put your faith in man, or this is what happens when, you know, when you you lose sight of Christ. And I think that's like a really scapegoat answer in what's happening. I think what that should be telling us is like, we suck at community. Like we suck at being relational. We're, We're really bad at, at literally caring for the least of these. Because in the moment that someone stops looking like the example of what the church we want them to look like, we ended up um, shunning them or, or kicking them out or, or, you know, guilting them or something like that. I don't know, some, something weird like that. But 
don't know. When I hear when I, when I think of this, is like I actually appreciate this article because I think disenculturation is a better word because the thing that they actually want to dismantle is not necessarily their faith. It is their the culture of Christianity that they've been around for such a long time that they've either been hurt by or they've been um, embittered by. And, and yeah, that might come with some bad theology or that might come with their pet sin being coddled or whatever the case may be. But I think what more often than not that happens is, um, is, is actually a well-needed opportunity to say, hey, I grew up maybe in a toxic environment. I went to a church that that had some poor leadership and therefore I'm rooted by it. But I, my hope is that some of these folks can say, I want to keep Jesus and his faith, but I need to let go of some of the bad experience I have. And I don't have a good answer of how that's done, but that's what I'm seeing being the, the, like one of the major issue um, in a lot of these deconstruction stories. I, I think what you just said is a great point. Like if as pastors, we can tell people, look, I don't have necessarily all the exact answers for your specific time, but what I'm willing to do is walk with you in this. And, you know, I, I want to, um, you know, reads things with you and process things with you. Uh, if, if you don't know about the podcast called Theology in the Raw, I would recommend it. The, the, either the most or one of the most recent episodes uh, is with a guy named AJ Swoboda. And the whole episode is about deconstruction. And it was really, really, uh, really, really good. So I would recommend that. It's, uh, it's by Preston Sprinkle, who is the, uh, the other guy who wrote Erasing Hell with Francis Chan. Uh, he's a New Testament scholar. Um, and, uh, that podcast in general is really, really good, but that episode was really helpful. So let's, uh, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk to uh, a good friend, the rapper KB. Hey, uh, we have a really, really good guest today. His name is KB. He's a dove award-winning rapper, uh, a, a really great conference speaker and preacher, uh, he's an entrepreneur owning an amazing uh, Christmas uh, Christmas Christian clothing line called Native Supply, and he's half of the Faith and Culture podcast called Southside Rabbi. He's a good friend. He went to he went to college with Jeff and I. Um, if you are youth, pe- well, we went to we went to college with him. <laughs> exactly. <sure. laughs> uh, if you're a youth pastor, you've probably played his music for sure. Uh, if you've been to any sort of conference, you've probably seen uh, people dance the church clap, kind of like in a line dancing type of way. It's kind of weird, but uh, but KB's a good friend. He has a lot to say. We wanted to have the whole um, podcast kind of uh, played out uh, in its entirety. So. Uh, you're going to be able to hear from KB, and uh, we'll see you next week. See you later. Bye. Hey, I'm here with uh, a good friend, KB. Uh, I've known him uh, since our Bible college days, and uh, we went to Trinity together. Um, got our very esteemed degree from an unaccredited school. It was great. Si, senor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, KB has, uh, uh, I, whenever, I go, whenever I go to places, and they ask me, like, what school you go to? I always, like, had this caveat. Like, it's not the Trinity in Chicago. That's right. the cool Trinity. Yeah. This is not that one. Yeah. Um, uh, the th- there's three really famous people who graduate from Trinity. Yes. You have Billy Graham. Bow. KB. Yeah. And me. I'm the third <laughs> I'm most famous person that graduated from the school. <laughs> Wait, and, what about um, oh, the, uh, Parsons? Burke Bur- 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 Parsons. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, and you can kind of say we have a Backstreet Boy because he wasn't like a Backstreet. I think was he, was, he like a. I think he was like the original Backstreet Boy. And then when they got famous, he had to quit for some reason. Anyways. He wanted to be a n- bastard. Name, name someone. Like, do you, a lot of people don't know who Burke Parsons are. Anyways. KB, we're getting we're getting in the weeds here already. This okay. is what happens when we're together. Uh, uh, if you're listening to this, this is KB. He he's a rapper. He is a a gospel proclaimer. He has a amazing amazing podcast. I think everyone should listen to called Southside Rabbi, and a really really dope merch line uh, of of cool apparel that's gospel centered um, and sometimes has size three X, which is great. There we go. <laughs> sometimes. There we hey, go. Uh, KB, I'm glad you're here, dude. <laughs> I'm glad to be here, man. Frank has uh, been one of my longest friends, uh, longest uh, sort of cherished relationships. Uh, I got through Bible college on account of our friendship uh, because he and I shared something in co- common that we were 
pretty much the only people of color in the whole school. That's, that's I mean, when I got there, I remember for at orientation, and let me just say real quick, Trinity, I I do owe a debt of gratitude to them. They've shaped me, um, and uh, I, I know we make a lot of jokes about it, but uh, we, we really are grateful for our, our, the time that we had there. But I remember at orientation, I was the only Negro in sight. And there was one gentleman, we were in Dr. Woodward's sort of intro to hermeneutics class, orientation, we were getting a taste of what the classes were like. And I was sitting in the front, you know, you're cognate, you're always thinking about stereotypes when you get there. So I'm like, I don't want to be the black dude sitting in the back. So let me go sit in the very front so I can appear as if I'm breaking what you might be thinking about. Anyway, so I'm sitting in the front of class. Dr. Woodward says, uh, you know, one of the things that we do with, uh, you know, in hermeneutics is visualization. So you want to take the, the, the passage, we were talking about Psalms 1, and you want to actually kind of put pictures to it in your, your mind. So what comes to your mind when you think of, this is what he asked the class, what comes to your mind when you think about the, the person being planted by streams of righteousness and walking with God in contrast to the person who is, you know, walking with the wicked? Some gentleman, homeschooled guy, <laughs> uh, you know, was in the back. My Caucasian brother, he raised his hand and was like, you know, this is my first day, y'all. Okay. He says, you know, when I see that passage, I kind of see like the righteous man being someone like Superman, you know, strong, you know, uh, you know, good looking, um, you know, powerful. But then when I think of the, the, the wicked, I think of like, you know, someone with like baggy clothes on, maybe a hat to the back. Describing me. <laughs> oh no! I literally oh, just I, 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 as soon as he finished in the class, I think the class who was probably all aware that I was there. He was just so I, I guess so blinded by his own worldview, he didn't even realize that I was there. I turned around, looked at this man, and stared at him for about twenty seconds, and then I said everything I need to say with my eyes, and then I turned back to to the class. But those are kind of kind of things we would run into that, yeah. that Frank was a, indeed a uh, my, my partner in crime to help me get through. Yeah, so. I mean, Trinity was like almost like a homeschool college in many ways. Facts. Or a Christian school college at minimum. Facts. And I remember I was still very much dressing like I still lived in West Tampa with my like, yes. with like a tall tee and some 5X tall tee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those were the days, right? And and so uh, it was it, it was almost like a bit of culture shock that's 30 minutes away from Tampa, right? Facts, facts. But, uh, but man, we, we learned a lot. I remember the, the only reason I took uh, some sort of like missions class in my senior year was I was like, KB, what class are you taking our senior year? And you were like, you took missions and and we took that class together. I think I think it was Parsons, not Parsons, Fritz, Fritz Doctor Fritz. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Anyways, yeah. this is not a podcast to reminisce about Trinity. Yes, <laughs> this is a podcast to talk about some important stuff. And and and, and just so listeners know, like uh, uh, KB has a podcast with with another friend of ours named Mean, and and it's called Southside Rabbi. And and I love practically pastoring. I'm I'm very proud of our podcast. This podcast is way better. Stop it. <laughs> this podcast is, is so good. Get out of here. And I want to encourage people to listen to it. And so I kind of wrote some questions for other for, for pastors who are listening to this that I think uh, kind of come up with some of the themes I found in your show that have been really helpful. So, so let me ask you this question. Um, you know, growing up, I've always heard, uh, you know, white evangelical churches talk about, you know, planning a church in the urban context or reaching the urban community. And I've kind of learned that that is code word for like black people, right? Yes. Or, or people of color or yes. people of a lower economic status, right? Yes, yes. And I, and I, and, and one thing that's been true that I've actually seen in Milwaukee is that when these white evangelical churches plant a campus or a church in the black community, it almost always fails. Mm. Um, Unless unless they're a part of a process of gentrifying, a that's community. right. They're, unless they're side by side with gentrifying, <laughs> yeah. These people like, out, yeah, yeah. There's like a new brewery showing up, and now another church that's like relevant church or something like that, right? So I guess and there, there's probably a thousand relevant churches. I'm not talking about real relevant, but anyways, sure. um, let me ask, ask you this question. You're from Southside St. Pete, um, you know. If anyone's familiar with quote unquote the urban context, it's it's literally what your podcast is, is a lot about. What do a lot of pastors and churches get wrong? about the urban context? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the the first thing, one of the things that we are really, really passionate about these days is trying to help folks move from orthodoxy, great doctrine, not move from it as in leave it, leave it, but to connect it with two other realities. So you have, you want to think right about God. Then you have orthopraxis, you know, then you want to act out of the right thinking. So, 
right acting along with your right thinking. But then the third thing, which we are super, super passionate about is orthopathos or orthopathos, which means right feeling, which means that God didn't make us in a sort of disembodied way where we can sort of separate the mind from the action from the heart. It doesn't work that way. In fact, I'll never forget what Dr. Shore said when speaking to Trinity, that anyone that thinks that they can talk about those three things separately, intelligently is sadly mistaken. Like God made it. And and this is what we see all through scripture, a God who was constantly emoting, thinking and acting. We see all of that happening. In fact, the emotions, if you even hold the emotion with the same scrutiny as to what God has declared in like a decree, you may find yourself into a theological problem. Like when God says to, uh, to Moses that he repented, that he made man, uh, excuse me. He says it in, in, before Noah, I repented that I, I, I repent that I made man which is speaking to God's pathos, how he's feeling. That isn't saying that God is literally recognizing a mistake, but it's showing, it's bringing you into the interfeeling, the inter sort of um, uh, communication of God's heart, right? And that the way that it feels when you regret something is what God is feeling in his view of men. Understanding emotion and and, and, and holding our emotion to our doctrine and to our action is very, very important. So the first thing that I think folks miss when we approach the urban context is that we don't go in with hearts of empathy. We go in with hearts of, of, of sympathy. So I'm, I'm like, I'm looking down on these folks. I don't actually see myself in them. So the George Floyd thing, for example. One of the, 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 this is in our last episode, um, we talk about this, but one of the, the biggest issues of the, dis- the disconnect between black folks and broader culture talking about this, or at least for those who are, don't, don't agree that this is something that we should see as heart stirring, is that it centers on do you see yourself laying down in the street? Do you see yourself? With, with Chauvin's knee on your neck? Or do you see your son or your daughter? If you can't see that, if this is a, a, a alien experience, you have no way of actually getting down and affecting those who are dealing with that because you're always going to be doing it from an ivory tower of thought, sympathies, and prayers, but you're not going to do it from that is me. I want to imagine what it must feel like to bury my son at the, the hand of state-sponsored violence. I, I want to know what I want to, because that, that changes everything. Think about people in your family that that mess up. You know, you got a dude that just keeps going back in the rehab and stuff like that. How much patience and grace and love that you have with that kind of person, right? Because you know that that's you. That's your blood. If you can't see the urban context that way, don't waste our time or your time trying to engage it. So I, I really think what I want to see, one of the biggest mistakes we make is that we do not see these people as equals we see them as those people and and seeing them as as equals seeing them seeing this as a context we talked about this at tgc how a lot of people aren't excited about going to diminish in an urban context it's way too much to figure out i, I don't i don't want to do the work of empathy or, or living around that or you know all that kind of stuff so in a lot of a lot of ways we'll throw some money at it and when i say some money i mean what folks pay to put an extra wing on their church could literally fund all kind of work in our community but here we are nickel and diamond trying to get anything done because all of the money that comes from christians typically goes to build bigger buildings in the suburbs it does not go to or or overseas but it doesn't go to our context so what would change that though brother what would absolutely affect the way those that happens is that if we were to see a i am these folks and b though we have not been very much excited about this this context god is very excited about it this is the vulnerable the overlooked the forgotten that's what god loves to do his work and shine the brightest those kinds of attitude, heart adjustments in conjunction with our good theology and right action, I think leads to the kind of, you know, transformation we want to see in our community. I mean, that's good. I mean, I think, I think a lot of times, uh, a lot of churches see urban ministry or even doing like 
bring a church to the urban context in the same way how they see missions trips overseas. It's like we feel bad for these poor brown kids, yes, in, you know, in another country, right? So let's like do a week with them and like rough it up. It's it's like hey, let's let's go down to the soup kitchen or let's go down to the homeless shelter, right, right, right. And it's like yeah, that I, you know, one thing I was talking to somebody, I was talking to a congregant. And and they were like, why do you care so much about this George Floyd thing and about this this cop? And and, and this person was trying to explain to me how like um, they just feel like it was a crappy situation for both people. And I was saying, when I see George Floyd, I see that could be me on the yes, ground. yes, yes. And, and they were like, I don't see. I mean, like like and 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 they're like, I don't see you like that. And I'm like, you might not because you have no context of like what it's like. Perhaps being a, a person of color in a place that's being over policed and all that kind of stuff. Right, right, right. But I could see myself very easily driving down the road, doing something, getting pulled over and me like pulling out my license the wrong way where right. I'm on the floor right. uh, with, with, with someone's knee on my neck. Yeah. And like, I can't explain to you for you to understand that, but I'm hoping that we can kind of create empathy, which for whatever weird reason, empathy is a bad word now. Yes. What is going about that, on? Bro, man, when I tell you yeah. that the devil is busy, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the fact that we talked about on the podcast yeah. that the one thing I'd say it's in 60 seconds, the one thing that gives you it's the key that opens the door for our unity, because this is another way of describing bearing one another's burdens. Yeah. I cannot bear your burdens if I don't get down with you in the actual suffering. Yeah. And, and literally the word sympathy in Hebrews, where Jesus says that we have well, the, the writer of Hebrew, whoever he is or she is, that said that the uh, that that we don't have a high priest that can't sympathize with our our weakness. The word sympathy is literally the definition of empathy, which is in feeling, which is literally to put myself where you are. Yeah, that's good. The devil wants to stop that though, yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's good. I, I appreciate that. I think like there's a lot of churches with good intentions, but I like how you bring up. It's like. If they don't have empathy for those folks, they're only going to be seen as a project. And the people in that community could smell that a mile away. Mile away. And they want nothing to do with that. Right, right, right. Um, that's good. That's good. Another question I have is this, is is my entire, I mean, from the moment I started interning at a church while I was in Trinity, um, till now, has been being a, a Cuban man in surrounded by white people, right? Like, like there's never been a time I was part of a Hispanic church. Um, I think the only time I've ever really been a part of a, of a church where, um, white people were the minority was actually visiting your church once. Okay. (laughs) I mean, like, like there's not many times I've, I've been in a in a community where, um, multi-ethnic in many churches means you have a black worship pastor. That's right. right. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) Or like a, or like a Spanish youth pastor, which is probably me. Right. Right. And so I've never looked down upon that. I actually have this philosophy of, you can bring me in as a token, but I'm going to leave showing you my credentials. That I deserve to be here. Facts, right? facts, facts. And so, so I guess my question to you is this: is when I look at your um, your your music career, you've got Dove Awards, uh, and you've got like you've been a part of these big Winter Jam tours, and and now you're entering into like Gospel Coalition conferences and stuff like that. Yeah. You you have and I, and we and this is not for this podcast. You we've also talked about the like Christian hip hop is kind of like rooted in white evangelicalism in such yes. a way yeah. that like that's where the money is. Right. And and it's kind of you can't divorce the two. Thanks. However, when white evangelicalism is mad at Christian hip hop, like it's it's a bad it's a bad situation for right, right, right. the hip hop industry for Christian hip hop. So I guess my question is this is like how have you navigated that? Because like, I know for a fact, at, I was a youth pastor for 10 years, and I speak at some of these summer camps. I walk into these arenas where there's like a thousand white kids at a youth group thing, and church clap comes on, and they're line dancing in the front, yes. right? Yes. It's like church clap is the youth group anthem, right? Yeah. That song you did with Family Force 5? Yeah. Crazy. Kids love it, right? Yeah. Uh, um, not Today, Satan? Yeah. People are freaking out, right? Right. And I... and. And and I know your heart. You're not. I don't think you're making necessary music to just like simply have white youth group kids be like, "This is my hip hop." All right? right. Like I think you're genuinely making good art. Right. But like, how do you deal being a person of color in these white spaces? That sometimes some of these places, especially some of the cities that I've seen you tour at, probably don't like you. The only reason why they like you is because the music you make, and as long as the message line is good. Right. And how do you prevent yourself from being tokenized? Where, like, it's right. really easy, probably, right. to just be like, I'm going to be the safe black guy. Right, right, like, right. How do Count you, on me. Yeah, how do you wrestle with that? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, one is maintaining a, a healthy disgust for being so sponsored by anyone that 
that they determine what you will and will not say. You need to be, I say healthy disgust is the best way I can put it, but you, you need to hate that with all your heart. I mean, this is what Paul says in First Thessalonians he's, when, he, when he advocates for us working with our own hands, becoming financially independent so that we are not sponsored by anyone, that no one is paying. We're not lobbied into where we where we are. So I think we need to hate that in ourselves without also not losing sight of the fact that these white folks are souls. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you can... As a black man in America, historically, white folks haven't been very good to me, to haven't been good to our people. Um, and uh, even when folks are, are nice and give you opportunity, they still have the, there's these moments I can tell a hundred stories of where they almost want to remind you that you are still not. I don't see you as an equal. You're at the table, but this is my table. You know what I'm saying? I think about the those who, who still are in 2021 Southern sympathizers who talk about, you know, the Confederate flag, perhaps just meaning uh, just Southern pride and stuff like that, which is which is revisionist history. That That's not true. Uh, the vice president of the vice president of the Confederacy gave his cornerstone speech before they declared treason war, which was treason against the United States of America literally said in the second line of his speech, bro, that we maintain that the Negro shall never be equal to the white man. That is baked in a in my historical experience in this country. So I can be tempted to say these people are ugly and I don't want anything to do with them and I don't care about their souls. And I think that that is not, that that's obviously not of Jesus. So I think I need to remember, I had a conversation with a friend, I'll just say, Andy, Minio was talking about going to do Winter Jam and he was like, I'm not sure if I want to do it or not. And, and uh, you know, and you talk about, you know, this whole uh, white evangelical and Trump and all this stuff like that. I said, brother, you, yeah, first of all, I think you should do it because it's a good financial decision for you. <laughs> but second of all, you need to remember, which is second is more important than the first, that these are souls. There are people that are going to walk into that room to, and when you get on stage, they're going to be dead in six months. They're, we're in a room of 15,000 people. Not everybody's going to be alive next year. You know what I'm saying? Like you, There are people that are, that are struggling with cancer. There are people that are struggling with their face, with suicide. These are people. So I, I got to manage that you're going to do things that are going to make, that are going to upset me because you are going to try to either box me out or say things that are inappropriate. I need to maintain a sense of identity that every time, every time, there is an opportunity for me to correct or push back, even if it's at me losing my job. It would be a pleasure to me. I'll go home saying, baby girl, guess what happened? I got kicked off or I got fired or I got I've had, you know, folks pull out on me or like when Liberty was tripping, when Liberty University was tripping with, 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 with Falwell Jr. Well, Falwell, not really Liberty University as much as Falwell Jr. was tripping. I got a, a massive offer to go out and do something. I, with a smile on my face, said I will not step foot in there until that man resigns. I'll give up money. I'll give up prestige. Man, come on, let's give it to me. I want to maintain that kind of like like personal independence, but also remember that I am a missionary. I am a missionary here to win people to Jesus. So I I keep my dreadlocks long. I keep I don't turn. I don't I don't take the black out of my voice. Uh, I I I I say what I say with my chest every time, no matter who's in the room. Uh, and I keep that same energy with with the lowly or or the dignitary. But I think it's that's what I'm fighting for. The for the war is in my heart to keep that identity, but also to remember that if these opportunities are being presented to me, uh, and I can maintain who I am and say what I want to say, nobody is, is editing my my stuff. Uh, then I want to go in with a heart trying to win, folks. Yeah, that's good. So so when you are in a uh, the mid south, and you're like, you know, you wouldn't choose to be here by yourself in right. some location. But like, Winter Jam has a stop there, and and you're gonna go out there, and you're gonna still um, sing your songs of like the liberation for Spanish people who That's are right. on the border and stuff like that. That's and right. Like, and like, if you're given the opportunity, let them boo you. But like, you're, you're getting, they're paying you to boo you. Right? Facts, but, facts. Yes, but at the yeah. same time, I think like in in a way like like when I you know I'm I'm not and I'm sure you're not oblivious to this either. We sometimes get invited to conferences or 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 different events because when they look at your resume versus 
a random white seminarian, you're like, let's get KB. He has dreads, right? <laughs> and like, I know that full well. Like, I'm a big brown guy. You don't know if I'm an extra in Moana or an extra in Aladdin. You, I'm, <laughs> I'm ethnically ambiguous, right? So if you put me on stage, it's going to look really good on a poster. I understand that. But 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 I'm gonna be unapologetically me. Facts. And if and however that lays uh, or offends, that's not for me to deal with. Facts. Facts. Because I am I'm I'm staying true to my conviction and staying true to scripture. Right. Right. You know right. I mean? Right. Right. Um, it, I would argue to even take a step further that the moment you allow yourself to be tokenized or the moment you allow yourself to be less than who you authentically are, you're actually. Uh, Taking away the image of God that's in you. Hey, Amen. You know what bro. I'm saying? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like the way God has created you and, and molded you, and even you know, you're from the South Side of St. Pete. I'm from West Tampa. Right. The, the the roots that are inside of us that God has purposely chosen for you to experience yes, and bro. live in. The the person you are now is meant to be the person that God's created you to be. And the moment you start to cower, the moment you start to say like, Absolutely. "Well, if I just." Take, if I just change my accent, if I just code switch enough, yeah. then like maybe like I'll be more accepted. Dude, you're running into a place where you're actually being inauthentic and lying about the way God has created you. That's right. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is Ooh, I'm getting that's goosebumps, terrifying. bro. That's terrifying. So, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about two things. Uh, Jesus ascends, obviously, in Acts 1. So he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And uh, you get in Acts 2 and the power of the of what's happening in the upper room is that these are Galileans, that these are, they, 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 they come from the hood. How are they able to do this when they come from where they come from? So that the power of their social context, the, the, the reality of their social context actually accents the work of God. And here's the other thing that I think is even more challenging to, oh, what, what, well, uh, accents what you just said. Jesus has ascended. Acts two happens. We lead. We read further in Acts chapter two that they're still calling Jesus Jesus of Nazareth. He's not, he's in heaven at this point, but they're still saying this is Jesus from the hood. It's important you know that because this is a part of the redemptive story. To to dial that down. We can't do that for anyone. Now, I will say this, too. It's important to remember that black and brown people are minorities, literally. That's changing. Yeah. Folks are scared about that, but that's, that, that's changing. It will change. But uh, we, to minister in any or to be in any uh, you know platform in a, on a high level, typically mean in, inside or outside of church, you're going to be. It's going to be you around a bunch of white folks. That's pretty much what it is. This is everyone in our space who are trying to infiltrate, whether it's at GM or if it's at Lifeway Christian Bookstore or at a church or whatever. We are going to find ourselves in that place. So like you said, even realizing that I know your heart might not be in the right place by having me on this tour. Y'all needed some color on here. So y'all need to kind of fill this thing out. But I know for my space, I, A, this is a big piece. I'm going to be compensated fairly. You're going, you're not going to give me, you know, you know, I, I, I you know, we're giving you this opportunity. No, you know, I'm giving you, we're, we're giving each other an opportunity. Yeah. Okay. But and then in addition to that, I am going to be authentically me. And if this is not what y'all signed up for, then I'll stay yeah. home. Yeah. I think inversely, I'm, I'm trying to think of the audience here of practically, it's like, I, I would venture to guess that it's, it's majority men and it's majority actually like white men too, who listen to our podcast. And I would say, in the same way how we are, I, 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 like my personal, like, if I ever get brought out to do a breakout at a conference, my passion is to talk about being a brown face in white spaces and, like, talking about how, like, the, you know, it's so easy to, to, to feel like there's a power dynamic and all this other stuff. And the, inversely, like going back to kind of the first conversation about doing urban ministries, like, if you are a white guy from the suburbs who went to Southern Seminary and you need to wear a bow tie every day to class... Don't try to act all hood all of a That's sudden right. when you're with a black hey, guy. Or, dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I would say <laughs> the the white men who've ministered to me the most were authentically them and nothing like me. Facts. You know, they were yes. country dudes from Iowa. That's and right. I'm like, That's right. Like there, there was there's no reason why there was no like commonality except for Jesus. That's right. And they impacted me. The Key and Peel skit where the guy like gives a different handshake to the white guys as he yeah, does to yeah, the black yeah, guys yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like when I see a white pastor go up to me and start dabbing me up, it's like Okay, guy, <laughs> like, on, shake my hand like yeah, you normally yeah, shake yeah. my hand. Yeah, like, yeah, let's yeah. not pretend what this is. Because I, I think, like, even when you are doing cross-ethnic cross ministry and stuff like that, 
be authentically who God has wired you to be. Don't right, pretend right. to be someone else. Right. Because then you start blurring the lines of like, you, you were never meant to be a token in the black community either. Right, right. So, facts, facts, yeah. facts. Anyway, what were you going to say? I was just going to say that, yeah, when you, when you feel like you have to, you know, turn your head around and get some magnetic earrings before you can talk to me. And try to try to learn some, you know, some slang and, you know, say lit and stuff like that. When you feel like you're doing that, you're you're also feeding into the problem because the problem that I mentioned earlier is that it's difficult for us. This is a human issue. It's not just a white supremacy. It's just a human issue where we don't recognize the image of God and somebody else as being just as valid as the image of God and me. So when you don't look at me and say human beings are all on the same level playing field. And what we're going to have as a commonality is us authentically being ourselves. If you feel like you have to put on some kind of show, you begin to demean me. When you feel like you have to to, to be something that I know that you're not or try to talk about, you know, um, I, 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 this is one dude, I won't say his name, but um, older white um, uh, preacher. And uh, I remember every time I saw him, he, I would, we were on tour, and he, he would catch me in the hallway, and he said, "Hey, man, KB, man, you know, you know, uh, you know, I was actually thinking the other day I was at, uh, you know, I was doing prison ministry. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> of course. And every time he catches me in the hall, he's talking to me about prison ministry. Fam, I've never been to prison. <laughs> I've never been to prison. I don't want to go to prison. I've, I've been to prison to preach, but yeah. outside of that, why do you think that? Do you know that most black people don't go to jail? You know that, right? Ninety-eight percent of us, yeah, yeah. right? Like you're literally talking about a micro piece of our community that is being over policed and filling filling jails, some by their own decisions, some by being unfairly targeted. But bro, I mean, because we also have the the highest rate of false convictions and overturned convictions, the highest rate of any other race. So yeah, but bro, most of us don't go to jail, bro. Stop talking to me about jail. <laughs> Most of us don't play basketball. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, even, we even in the league. Even though uh, your freshman year at Trinity, weren't you on the basketball team? Like, I know. You, you, guy, <laughs> hey, you want to play? And I was like, bro, I don't want to play basketball, bro. You're like, but but you're black. Yeah, aren't you here to play ball? Every first three years at Trinity, it was like, so are you on the basketball team? Right? I was like, no, I'm just here to learn the, the Bible. I came here to learn the Bible and then come to play basketball. Baffling. I gave up basketball <laughs> to, 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 to come here. You know what I'm saying? That's so, funny. no, like, those are the things that end up coming off as demeaning. You know what I'm saying? Here's the last question I want to ask you. What I love about your podcast is, like, I just want you to know that, like, I bet you right now there are so many, especially like white evangelical people who are listening to your podcast, and you are saying things they wish they could post online, yeah. things that they could wish to say. Like, and like, I know, I know, for, I know for like <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Simpson's in here. I, I, I feel this way. It's like, it's like you talk about politics. So free, like I mean, it's a cliche. You have a song that no one can own us. Like, yeah. like, like you're, you're, you. I don't know if it's because you're not a pastor. That, like, you're an elder at your church, though, right? I am on the lead team. We, we kind of have team. a different structure. Sure, uh, sure. Yeah, but I, I, I act in a, a role of leadership. But, yeah, but, but also, and, but your church culture is probably distinctly different than a lot of our church culture. Yeah. Where like, we feel like I think we have to have a sense of like responsibility in how we talk about things online right, right, right. because literally in my congregation, I have everything from like people yelling at me because. People are seeing closer than six feet apart and everyone yelling at us because we're still requiring masks. Like, like that's the tension I feel every single Sunday. And even beyond that, it's like the past year and a half as a pastor has been the most difficult things when you literally have like you, if you say what happened on January 6th was sinful, you're going to get five angry emails. And it's like, wow. this is low-hanging fruit, guys. Yeah, like, yeah. Come on, like, bro. There shouldn't be a cross and a noose right next to each other in a picture. <laughs> like, this this is not hard. But, I think. I, but, like, I feel like I feel like, like there's this tension where you guys talk about it so freely. But I also understand that you have, and I think you kind of just talked about this, you have a, a music career that kind of predicates a lot of fan bases that sometimes come from like really conservative backgrounds Absolutely. and it's really politicized. And so I guess my question to you is, and, and, and if you, if you can't speak for yourself, maybe speak to pastors right now who are listening to this, how, is there any hope we can have in this conversation when it comes to faith and politics? Because right now, I can tell you, it's discouraging. Every single pastor is dealing with this tension where they have QAnon conspiracy theorists and then like super far left liberals, and 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 we're just like, can we just talk about Jesus and not make every sermon an innuendo about whether or not how we handle policing, how how we view 
the mask, it's, it's really difficult right now. Do you have any insight? Because I think you, you talk to a lot of people. Right, 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 <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, man, that that's tough, bro. Um, I'm going to say something that may sound a little carnal, but I think it's absolutely biblical. This is, again, Paul in First Thessalonians is 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 trying to whip the the leaders of the church in, into into you know basically into shape. Like, yo, like make sure that you are not in a financial place where it's choosing between being saying what I've been told to say, okay, and saying what needs to be said. So I just encourage every pastor, not necessarily have a backup plan. Invest in Bitcoin. Yeah, get you some, get some Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) But really consider how you live your life to, to I live beneath my, my means. I have kept, I've kept my salary six years ago. Uh, it is re- with each child is kind of crept, crept up a little bit, but every dime that I make over that go, it stays, it, it either gets invested or it's saved. Uh, if y'all wanted to can I'll, I'll say it right now. No problem. If y'all wanted to cancel me tomorrow, my family would be good for the next 10 years. I have everything that I got. I own my publishing. I own my masters. I, uh, I, I have, I have investments. I'm, I'm, I'm a founder and a shareholder in an, an, another company that has nothing to do with ministry whatsoever. It's a echo friendly, uh, excuse me, um, a, a green initiative. Co- like I am okay. So I, I, that doesn't mean I need to be an idiot. And, and, and try to say things to to get for shock and awe. But I, I also know that that I'm I'm not going to be held by the fact that you that you, you know, you, you know, pay my bills. You know what I'm saying? So I would I would I seriously encourage every pastor to not to 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 not get into a place where you're simply a business and you the customer's always right. So you 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 have to get a level of not backup plan. We want to stay in ministry forever. But we want to make sure that we are living in such a way that allows us a little breathing room if we had to figure something out. So I'm just going to throw that out there as some something to think about. The second thing that I would say is I, we, we ha- as leaders have to do a better job of understanding how belief works. How do people arrive to a, con- a conviction? A lot of it's not thinking, bro. Like it's not. I know when I get on an airplane that turbulence is a part of what it means to fly. Does not mean that something is wrong, but weird noise gets made, a, a, a weird noise arises. There's three engines here. I understand all that stuff, but it doesn't drop my doesn't stop me from my, it doesn't stop my heart from dropping when when there's turbulence. I, the, I, it doesn't stop me from thinking that I'm we're going to it's the plane's going to go down if it was 10 minutes of of this even though I've been on hundreds of flights, bro. They've all landed. Some of them have been really bad, you know what I'm saying? But that's just that that the way that the heart and the mind kind of work in conjunction, you, it's something deeper happening. So I think, again, really thinking about what's at the heart, what, what, what's at the heart of why you are, are drawn to QAnon and why are you drawn to Trump? And that means you got to do some reading. You're going to have to get out of Jesus and John Wayne. You're going to have to listen to some some psychologists, Christian psychologists or otherwise, to help you understand why are my people in droves? Why can we predict exactly where they're going to be on any issue? Why? You know what I'm saying? So that I, I want to encourage people to go deeper than just thinking you can just preach the gospel at people because the gospel leaves a lot of space for you to do the hard work of, 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 of ministry, ministering to people's hearts and walking with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Never forget that Jonathan Edwards had a better grip on the gospel. The Puritans had a better grip on the gospel than we do. We, 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 we pull our stuff from there, for our, our stuff from those guys. Yet, even as they had people like Charles Spurgeon who was challenging them to their faces— they ignored them and said, no, we are right to continue to 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 uh, exploit um, black people. You know what I'm saying? So we, we got to We just got to be better at doing the, the hard work and, and listen to to some of the you know folks who are trained in this stuff and can help us understand how to move our people to a good place. Yeah. I mean, I'm hearing two things. One is uh, uh, I think I think as pastors at one at some point, we have to have the confidence to kind of explain to our people that. We were meant for another world. Like this is not Facts. our home. It's not home. And and America is a recent idea in the in the grand scheme of eternity, in the grand scheme of history. And 
in the grand scheme of biblical history. Like, like, like America wasn't even a thought when the last book of the Bible was written. Right, 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 right. right. So all that stuff is, is true. And so the, the Christian ethic should look different than the pol- like the polarization that our country demands. Right. right, right. Like, like it, like, Obviously, politics is going far right or far left, and and the middle is becoming is becoming non-existent. But Christianity should come in. Like I, I just read a thing by Tim Keller. He said um, Christianity um, has a socially like liberal ethic, like right. in the terms of like how we care for the poor, how we think about immigration. Like there's this like social liberal kind of concept. But like we have a our our, our sexual ethic is distinctly conservative it's stinkly like our moral ethics are stinkly distinctly like um conservative to the world right, 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 right. and 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 i and, and what tim keller was trying to explain there is like ultimately we're not we're not going to neatly fit in either one of those pockets and if we start to fit neatly in those things we should be concerned something's with wrong something's wrong how is an entire movement devoid of the spirit of people are not people <laughs> people are not claiming christ as as, as king how are they ex- a perfect fit for the church? Yeah, yeah. And when you are, uh, and I mean, it's so crazy. When you start seeing um, uh, Christian think tanks bring in actual atheists, actual, yes. like, like uh, militant atheists, yes. because they agree with you on a That's political insane, point, bro. There's, there's, there's a disparity there. Yeah. But you, you said something that I think maybe some of our audience can be like, okay, of course, KB, you're a music artist, you're, you're a business owner. Of course you can have this money and you're not, you're not like... Uh, you're not in, in bondage to a person right, or right, a people. Right, right. We are pastors that literally are dependent on donations. How does that work out? Here, here's what I'm hearing you say: yeah. uh, is is you are refusing to allow people to define your message and define who you are. Facts. And and I think one thing that I kind of understood right around the time I was like 28, I left this church in Arkansas that was kind of rough. And I, and, I, and I realized something that I have to separate the vocation of a pastor with the global church. Like there's there's the church that is beautiful. It's the bride of Christ. Right, right. And then there's the actual job, right? Right, right, right? And I think like, and I know you know this because you and I have hung out in some of these churches that like, when you get behind the scenes, like this is a business, no business. And, and, and their business is making a really cool church experience, right? right? right, right, right. And the way they're treating their employees is not great, right? Like. Yes. Like Amazon is a better job, and Amazon is kind of terrible, <laughs> right? And so, one thing I, I I try to tell people is, listen, you know, they, people have, pastors have this guilt of like, I don't know if I should leave my church. I don't know if I should. I'm like, listen, like you are a pastor in ministry for the church, and be faithful to that, right. and 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 through the through the power of the Holy Spirit and your gospel witness, effect change. Yes. But if you're being mistreated, if you're being abused, if you're if you're being told say this and don't say that, if they are restricting you from fully proclaiming the truth of the gospel, I have no qualms with putting my resignation and finding another job. For sure, for sure. And I think that like I think we as pastors, if the moment the church, your church is getting out of hand. And I know Jeff is sitting next to me. He, he's, a, he's a pastor of a smaller church. So maybe I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm a little maybe arrogant when I say this because I'm at a larger church. But like, like if a, if, a, if a couple families run the church and the pastor is just kind of like the, the talking head of what the families want to hear, get out of there. Run from that right. place, right? Right, right, right? And and I would say that because man, in ten years you're gonna look up and not even know who you're looking at in the mirror. Who is yeah. this guy? Or in ten years you won't be there because they fired you because they yes. you changed the carpet or something. <laughs> yes, because you won't be able to please them. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and so I think like I think like I think it's so important as much as you can as a pastor. Some people who are listening are like youth pastors, kids pastors. They don't have that kind of authority. But if you are an if you're an elder and you're a senior pastor and you are a part of the the culture creation of that church. Create a culture where you can speak freely about the sins on January 6th, about how we are not of this world and and Trump and Biden do not represent who we are to be in Christ and that our our political choices are not uh, a status of our of our sanctification. Right. Um, If you if you can't create that culture. Then, then you're not really in. You're not really in the authority over this church. Sure, you know what I'm sure, saying, sure. Um, and so I think that what, what you're saying is, is like, like be be so free that you can actually pastor your church, right. but also make wise financial decisions. That's because, right. That's right. Don't, because don't don't keep expanding your your uh, your 
that's one thing that I've resisted is lifestyle inflation for the for the years yeah. throughout the years. I mean, I, I in all honesty, there there are I, I got uh, I bought a car for myself and my 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 wife and my mom that I I probably would not have bought. I definitely would not have bought six years ago. Sure. But I but I but those are small pieces in in how I could be expanding with with my my growth with my growth in career and my encouragement is to resist that when as try get find out what does it take for you to live what does it take for us to live comfortably and then keep it at that and then save uh be and it's good for church especially urban churches to think entrepreneurial in general because if we can raise money by having a a dope tent building service that we can then pour into the kingdom will praise God. So I think that these are things that we should think about, but also, and I think you reminded me of this when you were talking, Frank, is that God will provide. He always has that those who are faithful, he will make sure they're taken care of. You just need to make sure that you're faithful. And and, and, not, and like you said, bro, to not give yourself to something that's impeding your ability to do that. Yeah. You're really validating the hearts of a bunch of bivocational pastors right now who are like, like I'm a janitor, but I'm also a pastor and Facts. I'm good. Hey, real quick before I let you go, is there any, uh, any things you want to plug? Anything you want people to know about? Boom. Yeah. Southside, 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 Southside Rabbi, which um, Frank already alluded to several times. Just it's uh, I just would love if you subscribed or and and checked out our stuff. Can you yeah. explain a little bit like kind of some of the content that someone can expect from there? Yeah. So Southside Rabbi is essentially, you know, two, urban students of history, students of theology, um, and uh, students of culture kind of coming together, talking about the the mind of Christ, the convictions of, you know, Christian ethics, and applying them to cultural issues like the Derek Chauvin, George Floyd situation, or the Capitol riots, and uh, um, the... Uh, um, uh, Christian nationalism, so on and so forth. So we have provocative conversations. It's it's very much laden with uh, the vernacular of our our context. Uh, but man, the the audience base is very wide. Man, I've I've met. I was up in Canada and it was just this whole Canadian family. You know, like everybody listens to it. My my road manager's mom is a ninety year old staunch Republican and loves our show. Even though we say things that challenge the, uh, what she thinks, um, so it's a it's a very uh, very uh, wide range. But we try to we try to be careful to make sure that everything is is sort of exalting Christ. So praise God, KB. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.